Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. If we, we haven't met, my name is uh, Brad Hobbs. Love to uh, be able to meet after uh, the gathering today we, at our, our new here tent. I call it a tent every single week and have to correct myself. It's a banner. And so uh, we can connect there after the gathering. Love to be able to hear your story and just what God's uh, doing in your heart. Uh, I, I mentioned this. The Rim Church, uh, actually, uh, odd enough, if you're here today, is uh, it's four, four years ago this weekend, uh, got started right here in this gym. And so, yeah, y'all can give. There have been some amazing people that are, uh, have, were there sweating and figuring out nursery for the very first time. And then there, there's some amazing people that God has just uh, brought today for the very first time. And so we're, we're super excited for what the Lord has in store, what he's already done uh, through the life of our church. Today, uh, we're going to start a new series called Rooted and Renegade. Rooted and Renegade. And, and then kind of the, the, the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea of what does it mean to have an anchored life and a revolutionary spirit? What does it mean to look at the truth of, of Scripture and not just go, oh, man, things are like, uh, we're just kind of regular and boring, but that, that what we believe as a church, what we believe as followers of Jesus actually propels us to live an extraordinary life. And uh, I, I just, just out of curiosity, uh, when you hear the word rooted, what comes to mind? You shout it out. What, what comes to mind when you hear the word rooted? Tree. All right, um, Lashad was, was helping me on this, and he said, hey, there's a, there's a TikTok dance out, right? Like, anybody know? Mitch, you wear the TikTok dance? I had to go, nah, it's all right. All right, Mitch was like, TikTok? What? Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, you're good, you're good. All right, what else? Rooted, tree, what else? Steady? Foundation? What else? Grounded, Okay. Uh, how about, like, maturity, like age, right? Nutrients. Connected. Those are great. What, what comes to mind when we hear the word renegade? Outlaw. Here's, here's what they're laughing. This is how in tune I am. The TikTok dance is not called Rooted. It's called Renegade, and I had to go learn it. So that's why Lashad is laughing back there. Uh, so Lashad, I just, you were trying to help me be in tune, and I just completely whiffed uh, on that. So thank you for that. Renegade. So what else? Harleys. Free. All right. What about like uh, uh, raiders, performers, people who like break away from institutions? It, what else? When you hear the word renegade, what, what comes to mind? Rebellion. Yeah. When we, we look at these two ideas of being rooted in renegade, they're actually two polarities. And, and honestly, we live in a culture where we're kind of like an either-or culture. But when we, we look at the context of Scripture, 
we see that when those two worlds combine, and, and guys, I think we have a slide for this. When these, these two worlds combine, we actually get what it means to be rooted and renegade. When we're just rooted and, and it comes to Scripture and comes to following Jesus, we're just pretty much regular religious. Like, and I, this is kind of the context I grew up in. Like, most people who follow Jesus, they didn't really have a life where you're like, that's the life I want to sign up for. Pretty boring, really smart, never really crossed any boundaries, never did anything super exciting. But just, you know, they were good people. And then you always had, like, the black sheep, right? So the, these are rebellious raiders. Like, they just go and they just mess things up, and they shot, you know, they just turn everything upside down, and they just, whatever was kind of flowing, it just kind of, like, they kind of isolated themselves as just kind of this rebellious group. In Scripture, we actually see both of these things play out, especially in the life of Jesus. But when you take these two things and you actually combine them together and we get a, a world where we're both rooted and we're renegade, we actually get this space where we get to live as a redeemed revolutionary. Someone that actually has value and meaning not rooted in what they do or perform, but in something that is great, something that is truthful, something that is eternal. And they sets them free to live an extraordinary life. So when we look at this idea of, of what, what we're aiming for, when we, we walk through this series of being rooted and renegade, is that we would be grounded in a truth that dares us to follow the call of Jesus. That our lives would be so grounded and that we would actually see Jesus not as an old, staunch, religious teacher, but someone who actually came and turned the world upside down and invited us to do the same. So what does it mean to be grounded in truth? We, we, we believe that there are some extraordinary doctrines that, that are key to anchoring our souls that actually set us free. And the very, the very first one we're going to look at this morning is, uh, is actually like the Bible. Like, just out of curiosity, whether you've been following Jesus or not for a long time or a short time, how many of you have ever wondered if, like, what is the Bible credible? Does it have meaning? Does it, uh, can I trust it? Or is it just an ancient book that I'm supposed to read? Anybody, like, I've been there. Like, we, we've all been in that space and so when we look at the, the idea of Scripture, I want, I want us to be able to just walk through a few key texts. The important thing or the critical thing about Scripture is that in order to defend it, you actually have to read it. All right? And so this morning, we're going to look at John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, and then Genesis chapter 1. So if you want to put a finger in both those, if you, you don't have a, a Bible app or a copy of, of God's Word, we'll put it on the screen. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right, so just, just recapture this. In the beginning, talking about the beginning of time, was the Word. You see the word, word there is, is capital W. And the Word was with God, meaning He was in existence, wasn't created. The Word was there. And the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through Him. 
And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness has not overcome it. In Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. To be able to understand and articulate what the Bible actually is, we have to go to these two texts to go, the Bible, the Word of God, is anchored not just in written text by men, but it is anchored in the active, authoritative work that God has always articulated, has always acted upon, and is still performing. So I want to give you this definition, and we're just going to kind of unpack it. So what, what is the Word of God? The Bible is the authority of God revealed through the collection of 66 books penned by nearly 40 divinely inspired writers over a thousand years with a unified purpose. So it is the authority of God revealed through the collection of 66 books penned by nearly 40 divinely inspired writers over a thousand years with a unified purpose. The reason we say it's the authority of God because in every text that we read throughout Scripture, specifically John 1 and Genesis 1, we look at this idea that the Word of God has always been the way that He revealed Himself to the world. And so when we look at Scripture, we go, this is God's way of revealing Himself to us, very similar to the same way God revealed Himself to humanity through the person of Jesus. In John 1, the, the person they're talking about there, Word, is it's Jesus, that Jesus was in the beginning. He was the active agent. It's who God revealed himself as, as a man. And then in Scripture, God is revealing himself to us. And so we, we read both in Matthew chapter 28, where, where Jesus would go, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He actually then gives us a command to go in, and make disciples. But in this idea of authority, that God is revealing his, himself, specifically his authority, to create, to expose darkness and light. And then we read later on in Genesis chapter 1, and every, every day of creation, it says God spoke, but that he would also speak to Adam and Eve and give them a sense of purpose. He would tell them to rule and to govern over the garden and creation. And so God's authority is is articulated in Scripture as what he has created, what he exposes, and the way that he rules, and the reality that God wants to be known. And so the, the Scripture, just from Genesis to the book of Revelation, has really four plot movements. We look at it at the very beginning where God creates everything. It's good and perfect. In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, men and women, Adam and Eve, are entered into the picture, and uh, very quickly, they figure out how to break everything that was good and right. So the world just, all of creation, we used to term it falls. So it is a fallen, broken creation, and God is in the process of redeeming everything that was broken and restoring it back to the way that he created it. 
this is important because when we look at the, the story of Scripture, there's a single central character in all of Scripture, and it's God. And so when we look at this story, the, the reason this is, if, if Scripture, we're going to get to like some of the, the, the reasons we doubt Scripture, but if it is true, then the way that the story moves throughout Scripture from creation to fall, redemption, and restoration is actually, and that God is the central theme, uh, the central character in it, it actually gives meaning to our life in relation to how the rest of the world operates. It also gives us information. It gives us understanding of how God works in our life, that he is constantly taking our broken messes and redeeming them and restoring our heart. So we look at this space that there's a central character and then it's divinely inspired. In, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul would write, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Scripture would tell us that there are nearly 40 authors. There are a couple books that we don't quite definitively know which man or woman wrote them. Nearly 40 authors that the Holy Spirit, these men didn't just write whatever they thought, that the Holy Spirit actually gave them the words to write. And as they penned those words, God was inspiring every article, every verb, every action, every parable recorded was divinely inspired, meaning the Holy Spirit literally informed the pen of the writers, the heart of the writers, to write what was included in Scripture. It was God's way of of saying, I want to use humanity, but I'm going to lead, guide, and direct humanity in every aspect. The other thing that we we understand about Scripture and and what is the Word, what is the Bible, is that as humans, we have to answer the question, what is the source truth for life? And you can chase that back to any other religion you want to or any other source, but there has to be something that gives us meaning to it. And Scripture looks at humanity and goes, if God is the creator, and this is the way that he has structured the story of creation, then all truth must be anchored back into him and his story. So this is, um, you missed motorcycles. Are you a motorcycle rider? You wish? Like, is that kind of like it is, right? Okay, you don't even wish. You just mentioned motorcycles. All right, um, that's cool. Uh, and that, it's better than a moped, right? Nothing's against mopeds, but you know, if you're gonna dream, dream for a motorcycle. And so th- this idea, if you were to make a motorcycle, like who knows how to fix a Harley better than the Harley designer, right? With brakes. Um, who knows how to fix a car better than the person who designed it and put all the pieces together? And so when we look at life, if we ascribe to the fact that God is the creator, when we have questions about why things have broken and why things are working the way, we actually have to go back to the person who created it and designed it, and he has revealed himself through his word. And so we look at this, we want to create a framework for like, when we talk about Scripture, we're actually talking about how God has revealed the way that he designed the world to work so that we could know him in the middle of it. So we want to ask this question, can, can I trust Scripture? 
really quickly, there, there are four literary tests that have gone through all of kind of uh, historically been adopted. The very first question that people ask, like, can I trust a book that's been written a thousand, over a thousand years? The last author that wrote it was about, uh, let's see, 2,000 years ago, 1,900 years ago. How can I actually trust what it says? And the very first thing that we look at a literary test is, were the authors credible people? Were they credible? Or did they just make stuff up? Were they known liars? There, there are three quick things. One of all the authors of scriptures were eyewitnesses to what happened. They didn't write them 400 years after they happened. They were eyewitnesses. Specifically, when you look at uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're talking about Jesus, they were, they were there. The second thing, um, if you read scripture, like most of the books uh, are named after the authors or who they wrote to. Um, if you're going to write a biography about yourself in your life, you're typically going to exclude the things that you messed up on. Right? Um, there's an example of, like, you know, a couple times the disciples said some things really stupid, and they're included in the Gospels by the writers that wrote it. And so, okay, okay, they didn't evaluate themselves and go, we're going to eliminate the hard parts. It was inspired. The third thing that we look at this is culturally, did they speak in a way that allowed them to prosper or elevate in their social status? What's super intriguing is in the, in the first century specifically, women were not valued by culture. And scripture, like to turn the world upside down, actually elevates the role of women, not just in life, but in the story of Jesus coming to save the world. These men would end up being <laughs> killed, persecuted, or uh, literally exiled for the words that they would write because they were so revolutionary to the time in which they lived. So they, they kind of passed the credibility test. The second, the second thing from a literary point of view is like, did we copy them correctly? Uh, the oldest copy New Testament uh, book we have is called the, the Codex Sinaiticus, all right, that's a big term you're never going to want to never need to know, but it's uh, 300 A.D. They found the full copy of the New Testament. You know what they did is they actually took, they found this about 60 years ago, 70 years ago. They actually went and said, okay, modern translation of Scripture, does it match what was written in 300 A.D.? With a 99% accuracy rating. Every word was copied correctly. It's pretty impressive. Like, I can't copy, like, an email from one day to the next. And these 99% are accurate. The third thing is they talk about the, the cooperation test. Like, other books in history, did they, did they collaborate what was going on? And you can read from the, the first century to the fifth century of people historically actually going, hey, there was a man named Jesus who walked and talked. You can read the story of the Exodus and you can actually go to Egyptian history books and go, hey, this, this happened, the hieroglyphics literally written inside of caves and pyramids in Egypt. Most of this can be found in the British Library that's actually on display of like, hey, this, this actually happened. There was a man named Nebuchadnezzar who, who literally ruled in the time that Daniel was written. And that's, we can historically verify that outside of the book of Scripture. And so historically, it's cooperated with everything else. The fourth thing that we look at is, is it culturally accurate? And, and, and a couple pieces of this, if, if a book speaks prophetically about the future, do those things actually come true? Secondly, 
Does it actually speak to the life of people if it's an instructive text? And in both of those cases, every prophecy that is recorded in Scripture has come true, and there are a few that will still come true. And there's nothing that gives more meaning to humanity than the writing of Scripture. And so we go like, I mean, you, you could try to poke holes in it, but it's a pretty credible source of like actually trusting the reality that these, these books, these, this story really happened, and it's still happening. So we, we come to this, this question, just kind of rush through that to get to the fact of why does this actually matter? And there are three things that I want to give you um, of why this actually matters. That God's word is the authority as the source of all truth. Meaning this, it becomes the litmus test for everything else that it claims to be true. It has to go back to scripture and go, does it align? Can't, is that, you know, if, if, if culturally, like, how do we embrace the, uh, the realities of a changing culture in context in alignment with Scripture? When we have decisions about parenting, we have decisions about our job, and we have decisions about politics, we, we actually can come back to go, no matter what anybody else says, we, we can come back to a source truth and go, this was the original powerful document that gives us life and meaning. What does it say? The, f- the other thing that it actually gives us in John chapter 6, Jesus' way, these are the words of eternal life. So the way that our hearts are actually saved, the way that we begin to follow Jesus are, are written in these texts. The second thing and Paul would write to the church in Rome is that this book is a, a living book that actually transforms our heart. He would instruct the church in Rome to, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind on what is true. And so the way that our hearts are actually changed are, 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 are basically by how we spend and, and process and renew our minds and our hearts and what God has said in His Word. The third thing is that it is story-forming. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul would say, hey, be careful how you walk because the world is going to constantly try to shape your story in a way that reflects what is broken. And God is in the process of redeeming and restoring your story and your life to the way that it was intended to be, which was good, right, and perfect. And so what what Scripture allows us to actually do is it begins to be the formation piece of our story and our relationships and the way that we we spend our money and the way that we spend our time and the the way that we use our resources that God's given us, the way that we process, like when difficult things happen, when we lose a job and when our relationships are not going well, it begins to shape us. The fourth thing that we'd say is the authority on is that it is, it is the wisdom or the guiding source for life. You can read Psalm 1 or Psalm 119, uh, 15, that like a tree, Psalm 1 would say, planted by living waters like streams, the the fruit of life is anchored in Scripture. The second thing it gives us is it it actually reveals who Jesus is or who who God is. That God was not a stuffy king 
And he was not a God deity that came down and, and just said, hey, I'm going to die and you guys need to fix everything. But that if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus began to turn the religious system upside down because the religious system was religious and stuffy and did not accept and did not show love and did not embrace. He actually came and said, hey, the way of the Lord is actually to, to sit with sinners to sit with those who are broken, those who are hurting, those who, are, who have been outcast, and go, hey, there's room at the table for you. And so he was a revolutionary in his day because he understood the truth. But not only this, you, as human, you and I as human beings, we actually get to go, if Jesus was God in the beginning, and he came and revealed himself as a man and then gave us his word, then ultimately our life should look like his. And so what does his life look like? It becomes the mirror in which we get to go, I want my life to look like that because if that is what truth looks like, if that is what goodness looks like, that's what I was made for. And so Jesus had no need for social status because he came to rescue sinners. He had no need to perform because he walked in the fullness of power. He had no need to be liked because he was fully loving. He had no need for worry because he knew he was the answer. And so when we begin to look at why and how our life was created, it was created to mirror the, the heart and life of Jesus. And so in this, why it matters, it's the authority, but it also shows us who we were designed to become like, then there's a responsibility for us. And the great challenge of this is, um, I uh, any Enneagram like three wing fours in the room? Anybody like, of a couple of you, right? Uh, like any of you like go, hey, the Enneagram isn't the stuff the devil made? Yeah, perfect, you're cool. Cool with that. I, you know, it's fun, it's fun. Um, I, I have a weird personality trait, like um, I, I liked, we all have weird, I'm super weird. And so like, uh, and part of that is like, man, I've got to be, like my clothes have to work right every day. That often leads to not just this looks okay, uh, but I feel good in it, and I've got to make sure that none of you have the same shirt that I have, okay? Um, that's pretty much what it boils down to. This morning was one of those days where I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be honest, very vulnerable. I changed four times before I got to church. Right? Like a lady, all you guys are like, hey, p- dude, put your man card on the table. I got you, right? It, <laughs> it was a work. I, I worked up a sweat, Steve. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't even funny. Like, it, and, and here's why. Because every time I walked and, and my wife has this beautiful stand-up mirror, I was like, I just don't feel good in this. Like, like a girl, right? Like, nothing wrong with that, but I just didn't feel, I didn't feel good in it. Didn't feel comfortable. And then finally... It just dawned on me, it's like, hey, just put something on and walk past the mirror and don't look. <laughs> right? Um, which some of you are like, hey, you should have looked. Um, so here's the deal. If Scripture is a mirror for who Jesus is, meaning he is the revelation of all of God's goodness and perfection, I have a responsibility to that. Oftentimes we're afraid to look in the mirror to see what God is actually going to point out or we're going to find. And so, it's, is Scripture a little tricky in some places to understand? Yeah. 
But if it is the source of life and gives me the, the Jesus, God himself, who says, come, not, not in a way to change your behavior, but come and experience life, then I actually have to be willing to sit in a mirror and go, God, I open-handedly make me more like you. Cut out the things that don't look like you. And so when we, we look in this space, our responsibility in this, the most powerful thing is we, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, would say this, this book is living and active, meaning it is not a dead history book that is just the historical record of what happened. God is actively and powerfully using his word to reshape our heart and our minds and our lives. So when I sit in the mirror of his word, he is actively using it. The Holy Spirit is actively working to take those words in my heart and close the gap from the the ugliness and the brokenness of my life to his goodness and perfection. So this is this is the beauty of why it matters. And so the, the last thing I want just to close with is how do we live in light of this? How do we live in light of this? The, the very first thing is, is we actually have to rest in his word. Not just read it, but to like rest in it. And so I, I encourage you just like on a, on a practical basis, like sometimes you just got to like put this on the calendar and just go, I'm not going to read a chapter. I'm going to rest in this chapter of scripture. Meaning I'm going I'm to think about it. I'm going to work it over in my heart, my mind. I'm going I'm to sit quietly with it. I'm going to read it, sit, and rest in it. The second thing I'm going to do is open-handedly, I'm going to receive whatever God's going to say. Here's, here's the beautiful thing. Um, Pastor Austin is getting some much needed, like not much needed, much deserved time away. Um, if you're new here and you don't know Pastor Austin, he, he's amazing, incredible. He also is telling everybody right now that uh, he's pregnant. Um, he's not pregnant. His wife is pregnant um, in, in, because he's a new dad. Like they're anticipating that thing. And it's great joy and fun to celebrate. Um, that's true for like every new dad. Like, new moms are really excited about that, and then, like, morning sickness comes, and that becomes a train wreck. And so, like, all those things. But you get a dad for the very first time, and he's anticipating the birth of his child. There's an exhilarating joy to take the power of Scripture and to, for it to, to come into our life. Here's the reality. God has actually prepared every moment for you in time to show up and do something awesome. It's almost as if it was pregnant in time. What's it, what does it feel like to show up in God's Word and to rest reading it and go, hey, God's about to do something. I don't know what it is. It may be painful, maybe joyous, but like, I'm expecting Him to do something. So we get to come to, to, to his word and to, to rest in it, but get ready to receive it. But then the last part of that is like, there's always a call to obedience. We, we always have to respond. So, so to live a, a, a rooted and renegade life, a life that is both anchored in the depths of who God is and truth, but to live a revolutionary love in a, in a world that is, is desperately broken, means that on a, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, throughout the day, that, that I am resting in God's word as truth 
anticipating that he is going to work and that he is going to speak because he is. And I'm willing to do what he says. And as we do that, our life, the the depth of our life grows deeper. And the revolutionary spirit, the flame in our hearts to live a life that matters grows brighter and hotter. So we as a church of the next several weeks are just we're just gonna look and go, hey, what let's what are the things that we believe and how do they set us free? How do they actually move us so that when like world gets a little shaky, like when you know, it'll be a political season next next year, all of you who don't realize it's another like presidential election and you're already like hitting your head against the wall for that. But when all of that chaos is going on, when Work changes. Yeah, like, that really stinks. But my life is so grounded in what truth is. That like an old oak tree that's lived hundreds of years, yeah, we're going to lose some bark and some limbs, but I understand who God's made me to be and the story he's telling. So it's just some wind and some rain and some storms. There's going to be a better story. There's going to be a better part of this story. Whether it's the next week or generations from now, there's a better part of this story. So we anchor our life in the truth of Scripture so that we can live freely to love and embrace and live a life of power that God has invited us into. It's, it's kind of the, what we do every, every Sunday is we, we take about 120 seconds and we just go, Lord, what are you saying now? And what... Are you inviting me and asking me to do about it? So once take just a moment as we, we wrap up our time and you just, you just take about two minutes. Go, Lord, what does it mean? What are you saying? What do I need to do about it? In just a second, I'm going to actually come and invite us uh, to get with the people that we came with or, or two or three people beside us and, and be able to pray for each other as we, we step into a world that is broken and messy and we deeply desire to to live as a redeemed revolutionary in the middle of it. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.